again and welcome to another episode of the bullpen bulletins podcast a celebration of all things marvel i'm vince b i'm david price and we have one heck of a packed episode for you tonight we have from the debell brothers imprint mr jake black who is in charge of adapting orson scott cards worms for DeBell Brothers. That's our first interview. And following that, we have Mr. Miguel Montenegro, also working for the DeBell Brothers. And he is the illustrator on Red Prophet. Some great stuff. So sit still and wait for those two interviews because before we get into that, we've got uh, take care of a couple little pieces of business. And David and I, we want to talk about Civil War The Return a little bit before we get into the the Bell Brothers stuff. So just sit tight, relax, and David's going to start driving this car right now. The New York Comic Con is bigger, better, and has double the space with more gaming and anime for 2007. Come to the Jacob Javits Center February 23rd to the 25th and experience the biggest pop culture event in New York City featuring comics, anime, manga, graphic novels, video games, trading card games, RPG, MMOs, toys, movies, TV, celebrities, and more. Guests of honor include Stan Lee, Jeff Smith, J. Michael Straczynski, and George Perez, with many more to be announced. For a complete list of guests as well as show information, 
visit www.nycomiccon.com. Buy your tickets online now to ensure your spot for the 2007 show. Tickets are available now at a discounted rate for advanced purchases at www.nycomiccon.com. You can also book your travel arrangements online through the travel page of the Comic-Con's website. Don't miss out on the 2007 New York Comic-Con. Visit our website to get all the information you need. That was awesome. Well, it was it was something. I mean, it no, was, you did a good job on that, and it was wasn't even rehearsed. It was it was like you couldn't even tell you were reading from a piece of paper. You're right. I'm just <laughs> I've been hearing it for so long, on so many God. different podcasts, <laughs> and and, that, and I mean, it's I'm glad it's. I mean, I'm not even so glad that you know we won't be reading this because I'm I'm glad to be reading it, but it's almost here because the anticipation has just been. Building. I've just been. I've been looking forward to it for months. But I mean, now that we're actually in February, yeah, and it's just that much closer. It's like it's like I'll I, I'll get to see you again. We'll get to see Chris and Sal and Tom. It's we called, haven't seen them since August. On the one hand, it's a lot of fun that we're going to see all these people. But on the other, we got to get our butts moving and get our stuff done. Mm-hmm. That's that's where it's scary. Business cards, T-shirts, get that banner done. Make sure um, we get our tickets for the Greg Land Appreciation Tour. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's a lot to do, and I'm looking forward to it. And I, like you said, Chris, Sal, Tom, Pat. Rick Dan, Gordon, Pat, Dave Wachter. Oh, Dan, Dan C. Yes. Jeez, um, everybody. Uh, all the, all the um, Tommy Lee Edwards is going to be there. Miguel people, Montenegro. That's right. People we've talked to. For this episode, we'll be there. It's just going to be it, it's going to be awesome. If you're in the neighborhood, February twenty third to the twenty fifth, New York City, Jacob Javits Center, come to the second annual New York City Comic Con. The New York City Comic Con, yes. Right. I want to get that right. And uh, we have room in our room. We have space in our room. If you have a family of twelve, we'll fit. We'll fit you. You know, as long as you all pay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> And just so everybody knows, when you come to the podcast arena, we will be at table A-154. The Around Comics guys are at A-152, and I believe the Pop Cult Online will be occupying table A-156. I know. We're the meat in a pretty nasty sandwich, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, I think I will be... um, you have to go to this show. And even uh, regardless, come to the show to see us and say hello. And you can come to this show to see Miguel because that's right. I mean, you have, you know, organic matter. The reason why we have probably the majority of those 10,000 replies and topics on, on our site. Um, and thank you to Max Headroom for pointing that out. Uh, Mr. Miguel organic matter on our form will be attending the show. And we also have, uh, we have an announcement to make regarding Miguel. Yeah. I mean, this is probably will be a, a surprise to no one. Uh, Miguel has done an incredible amount of work for us behind the scenes on our forum. He coordinates things. He's just an incredible person. Very knowledgeable. The force of nature. Yes. Very knowledgeable guy. He knows his comics and he communicates well with others, which is something that. I don't necessarily tend to do uh, outside of our little forum here. Like in the real world, Miguel is very outgoing and very personable. So 
like I said, no surprise. We have upped the bullpen bulletins crew by one. Miguel Rodriguez is now officially a member of the Bullpen Bulletins podcast. He'll be on occasionally, but that's not what he wants to do. He wants to be the dude behind the scenes. Kind so, of like a producer. Kind of, but he, I'm not letting him touch the audio. because no, there, this is true. Th- yes, there, right. there would be no audio breaks in the middle. He, oh, take them out. They make me nervous. Yeah. But, and um, not just that. They you know, condense it, speed it up. I only want an hour. Let's yeah, go. Let's you, go. No, no one you, wants a two-hour episode. You guys would be getting 15-minute episodes, but still, that's besides the point. He, he'll be working behind the scenes doing what he does best, and God love him for it. So now we are three. And you can, uh, and aside from obviously sending the man a PM, if if, uh, if anybody needs to reach Miguel, um, just like Vince has, Vince at bullpenbulletinspodcast.com, Miguel can be reached at, wait for it, Miguel at bullpenbulletinspodcast.com. And here's also a, uh, a link from the menu on the uh on on the site under uh under home and email us there's a uh there's a link where you can email the three of us yeah we were going to put his whole name on the email address like uh, miguel pierre francois del brioski rodriguez on there but it's but, you know, too it's, much for you guys to tell yeah yeah the site only has a certain amount of characters to fit into path so so okay. miguel rodriguez is now one of us so come see Miguel, Miguel. And, and us and Michelle and Dan and Matt Summer will probably be hanging around with us and uh, you're on comics guys. It's going to be one hell of a time and Marty and just everyone will be there. It's the place to be. Rick, Rick Gordon. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to see Rick. I have the. He says uh, you're going down. By the way, no, it's not going to happen. He wants you to wear your best Sunday dress. Nah, it's not going to happen. I may be a big guy, but I'll tell you, I am fast. He's got to catch me first. And the around right. and the around comics guys and the raging bullets boys are going to be there. Sean and Jim, another reason to go right there. Come on, raging and bullets. And don't expect the whole oh, when's raging bullets and bullpen bulletin's going to have a throwdown. We aren't. Um, I'm just going to bring all my uh, showcase volumes and we're going to have feats of strength at our table to see who can rip one of them suckers in half <laughs> the, the, the quickest. And, and, and we're going to do it in full view. Of I like my sh- showcase. No. I like my Green Lantern showcase. I uh, giggle at the Justice League of America showcase. Oh, what a way to taunt them, though. From, uh, a, from across the, 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 the hallway, just try and rip one of them showcases. I and, can't do oh, that. I'm, I'll do it. I'm doing it. I'm right and, there, and, baby. And for those that asked... Well, how about this? Okay? I'll bring all my showcases. If anybody wants my showcases, you have to trade me uh, an essential. Don't for, you have most of them? Um, no, I, I have about 75% of them, but you never know. Somebody may stumble. Well, then you better post a checklist. Well, uh, whatever. The essentials bring, that Vince has. How about this? Bring, bring a Marvel comic, and you can have one of my showcases. There you go. How about, how about donate to Hero Initiative and get one of Vince's showcases? Oh, you... Yeah, okay. That's all right. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that works. Because this way, you're probably going to benefit somebody that worked on said showcase. Yes, that's true. Good idea, David. See? You you raise me up. I try. That's right. It's not easy. I know. I mean, you know, lightweight, so. That's not, that's very true. Well, you ain't alone. For anybody that's asked, we've been in talks with Sean and Jim. The first... 
Raging Bullets, Bullpen Bull, Tense Crossover, has been, the topic has been finalized. We just have to find a time where the four of us actually have the ability to all sit down together and record the show. Like I said, the topic has been, it's a surprise. We'll, uh, once we get closer to the recording date and once we get closer to, you know, the recording period, you know, it will, we'll, uh, we'll either make the announcement so everybody can, can read along. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't read this particular, this particular story in, in some time. It's not, and it's, pro- it's not what you're thinking. It's not like, you know, Spider-Man and Superman, you know, it's not, and it's not the Wizard of Oz because, you know, Aww. that was the first one. Uh, but we're, um, It'll it, it'll be neat. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, and yeah. I'm looking forward to talking to Sean and Jim. Even and and I'm sure we're gonna see them at the con before we record this episode. So I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing them again because it's it's but well we we saw them we saw them in uh, at CGS 200. Yep, albeit briefly. Um, but now we could we can hang around with them for hours. Yes, they'll yes. be sick of us. No, we we can actually do a. a a raging bullets bullpen bulletins cruising the sh- con floor for bargains episode. Oh, you, yes, we can. We can because we'll 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 have some form of of portable mobile audio. That's we right. And uh, we can heckle the people at the trivia contest that they're going to have in one of the panels. Oh, I'm heckling everybody to begin with. Oh, that's, that's true. That's, as soon as someone walks by, that's hey, pretty much the, a given. Look at the fat white guy in the t-shirt. I and, and you see the whole con turn around. If if I get to sign a boob, I will be a happy man. I mean, dude, you're not Gene Simmons. I, I look a little bit like him. That's, yeah, that's true. That's but, true. Yeah. Um, so let's just shift gears a little bit and talk about one of the most controversial Marvel books to come down the pipe in a long, long time, Civil War The Return. What What makes me laugh, though, is that one of our most downloaded episodes as the episode where we don't even appear. Right. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that be- <laughs> before we get into it. Now, the the return was going to be a controversial book no matter what the outcome. And as soon as I saw the actual events of the book, I said, "Okay, this is not going to go over too well. Let's see what everyone has to say." So I solicited opinions on the website, on the on the forum actually through our Gcast message service and I threw together an episode featuring nothing but listeners and their comments and I do not think we have received a more venomous uh hateful reaction to an episode yet and thankfully like David said we aren't even on it yeah. you know so uh it it was just your opinions a snapshot, if you will, of the moment and the gut reaction from the fans. So, I mean, I appreciate. I, I really did appreciate everybody pitching in. I mean, I'm, I'm glad they they were moved enough to pick up the phone to call and leave us a message. Uh, I do believe everybody introduced themselves except for one person. Yeah. Uh, and and um, I won't let Jefferson live it down. And um, and you know what? I think it's a great episode, though. It it, it may be overly. I think what well, was was Pat like one of the only people that? And actually, and actually, now that you mentioned it, did Jefferson even talk about the return, or was he just commenting on the previous episode where we were giving our Marvel Primer one hundred and one? Right, probably not. But I mean, the overall tone of the episode is very downbeat. It and, is. I think and, Pat might have been the only people. One have been might have been one of the only people that didn't overly hate it 
He right. was he was interested to see where it was going. But, he didn't pick up the phone and go, "Oh my god, I can't believe they did this." Right. But the thing that surprised me the most with Pat, and I was shocked to read his reaction on the forum, was that he said he almost couldn't get through the episode. And I was I was a bit nervous at that point and I said, "Oh my god, did I do something I shouldn't have done? Is this going to reflect on David and myself?" And then I said, "Wait a minute. Step back from this for a second. And what was my intent? My intent was to be the mirror, to bounce whatever came at me back into podcast land and just show you this is what's happening right now with a segment of fandom. This is what they're thinking. This is their reaction. This is real. It's immediate. And it's the way it is. Like it or not, warts and all, this is how it is. So as far as that's concerned, I think the episode works really well. But I do... I wasn't even home. That's right. I was out of the state. I was in Florida for the week. So, I mean, I'm wasn't even around to, to participate in this episode. This completely, this took me by surprise as well. And I, and, and while I was waiting for the plane to come back home that Sunday, I was listening to the episode and I could kind of see where Pat was coming from because yeah, I, it wasn't easy to sit through because it, there was, it was a very, like you said, of a downer of an episode. There right. wasn't a lot of, of anything really peppy. We had some funny Remarks we had uh, we we had David we, D with his with his spam yes. message. Da- David D was great. He that was a very very funny message. Uh, and, and and I do and I thank everybody that that sent cement. I, I th- even there were some where, even Marty. We we have to thank even Marty. Yes, for absolutely. his his lengthy and informative assessment of the issue. Uh, <laughs> if the main criticism of the episode was as depressing and it's not very. Not an uplifting experience. That's the reality of the situation. People feel very strongly about Captain Marvel. And I wonder if I wonder if the people that called in did anybody that enjoyed it just not want to call in, or is this the majority of the people? Because I'm reading some forums as well, and it's not even people that liked the return or didn't like the return. It's like people that were born when Marvel was in a comic book, and people that were born after. Marvel mm-hmm. was in a comic book and never read the death of Captain Marvel. So it's like, you know, what, what what kind of attachment do they have to this character? And what, can they understand what everybody's big brouhaha is? Right. And the reaction to this issue is all over the place. But the majority of it, there's this nucleus of negativity around this issue. And then you have uh, everything from I loved it, I think it was great, to and this is another thing that surprised me. I'm boycotting Marvel, and I didn't even read the damn issue from from someone who I would think would know better. You know, uh, I'm not mentioning any names because I, I love him and I, I respect his opinion. If this is the way he wants to go about it, then fine. But, you know, to just say, that's it, no more Marvel based on this. I'm not even going to look at the issue. I just, there, there and, I, and, I, and I have a feeling I know what he's going to reply. There can be no good way to do this. So, therefore, if it is this character and they brought him back, I'm done with them. But, but you, you know, you have to give them a chance. Go ahead. You're right. You do. You have to give them a chance. And, and I mean, I was this close to calling in. And having Jason Todd killed off. I didn't, and I obviously didn't have to, because the overwhelming response was to kill Robin, or to have Joker kill Robin. I lived with that. I had no problem with that. And then I find out recently that, hey, you know what? 
We brought him back. And apparently when they traded the death in the family, one of the quotes on the back of the book from Denny O'Neill was something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, that bringing Jason Todd back would be a really dirty thing to do. Right. Okay, and, well. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, again, it's comic books. Every, it is. Everyone it comes is. back. I think, it, I think it, one of the only ones, and, and, and we know he has an alternate stories and things like that, but... Right, and let, let's talk about the mechanics of this story for a second before we get into the was it right or was it wrong. Captain, well, did you did you like the issue? Did, did you I, like this story? Because I don't want to say the issue because there were two stories in this issue. Right? But did, did you like this story? Did I like it? That's a difficult question to answer. Did I like it as a return of Captain Marvel, or did I like it as? A comic story. See, for I'm a big proponent of balance. If you are going to tip the scales from what has been done in the past, you have the death of Captain Marvel, a very, very powerful, very moving story. If you are going to bring him back in any way, you better make sure those scales are balanced with a story that's as powerful and as moving and as well done as the story in which took him out. This was not. It was not as well done. It was only a snippet. It was almost an afterthought. Like, okay, you know what? At the end of Civil War, right before the seventh issue, we're going to bring Captain Marvel back. Let's have a little bit of class, guys, and do it in a way. Let's produce something of value bringing this character back. Let's not just use it as another tool to bring an old character back that we're going to make some money on because we know at the end of this little series this little story uh, captain marvel number one balance the scales powerful on the right powerful on the left meaningful meaningful value and value there's no value in this story there's no meaning to it there's no it doesn't there's no the first one was infused with this emotion that starlin put into it and what do we get in this Oh, gee, I'm back. Like, it's almost as if he's retarded, you know? <laughs> I, I, I liked, I thought the way they brought him back, that little mechanic where he notices an anomaly because of the negative zone portal and something else, which I'm assuming is gravity's expiration, so to speak. He gets sucked through the time stream. So he, they, they're, they're not stepping on Starlin's toes. It's actually a bulletproof way to bring Captain Marvel back. They're not stepping on Starlin's toes. Everything that Starlin set up will happen. So it's almost review-proof in a way. There, there's nothing you can say about it. No feelings are hurt. It is Captain Marvel back in the present day through time. And he's eventually going to die. So what what Jim did, that great story in the past, is still going to happen. So that's cool. But I just I have issue an issue with the the way it was done. It, the art is very nice. Tom Rainey's work is, is great. Jenkins, I I, I don't know. It, it was. A little off. It just seemed like it was shoehorned in at the last moment. It, that's not a fitting return for Captain Marvel. I remember back in the 80s when I was buying comics off the newsstand hot and heavy when I could make it to the to the, to the specialty shop and pick them up as, as they were coming out on uh, twice a week because back then it wasn't just Wednesdays, it was, uh, it was Tuesdays and Fridays. And obviously this was before previews or at least the mass market consumer-friendly previews. And if 
if something happened, you didn't know about it ahead of time. You found out if you didn't buy that comic and, and some, some big event, some return, someone's origin was told, you know, you'd have to go back and get it or spend more money on a back issue. I wasn't thrilled with the fact that this was announced as the return. It, it, this, there were two stories in this comic book. I don't see why they couldn't have been fit. They couldn't have fit into Frontline or into a backup of another comic that's already telling a Civil War story. I, I wasn't thrilled with the presentation. I, right. I didn't like the packaging. Profit. That's why it was done. But you already know the answer right. to that. Yes, yeah. yes. And and the fact that it was announced ahead of time and people were able to either be anxious or upset ahead of time uh, it didn't help. But if, again, you know, if, if a character died back when I was reading comics initially... You, know, you you found out when you were reading the comic book. You didn't. You weren't able to run to a message board and find out. Okay, well, what happened in this issue? I like surprises. I, I, I do. I don't like being spoiled. That's why I, I went crazy trying to find the right color on the forum so that people could post spoilers if they wanted to write about something that happened in a comic that they read and they wanted to talk about it. And I didn't want it spoiled yet because you and I both get our comics a little bit later than everybody else does. Mm-hmm. I want to read it. I want to be surprised. So, you know, in that regard, I'm not thrilled with the Internet as far as taking that fun out of my hobby. Right. Well, that's why for this one, I ran down to the comics shop on Wednesday. I wasn't waiting for this because I, I didn't want anybody to spoil it on me. No, and you're absolutely right. And I, I, um, it, I wish I had that option. I wish I could run to a comic shop quite easily and, and pick it up. And for, you know, my, my schedule doesn't permit that. And, that's right. And so... I have to do what I can, and 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 I did read it. So I like you. I wasn't. I was glad that they didn't pluck him out of his grave. Mm-hmm. That they didn't even mess with the original death story and tried to tweak a couple of panels right. where where he was plucked out from his deathbed, like right before he expired. And it's an it, it's a younger Captain Marvel. I, I can live with that. It, right. I, I I didn't have a problem with them, how they brought him back. I always thought Captain Marvel looked cool. I always liked him as a character, and in, in all the comics that I read, he was in. I did like him. Was he was he a little plain or uninteresting? Maybe to a degree, a little too stoic for his own good. Yeah, yeah. I you know I he's he's got some things I guess you know that that alien on, on, on an alien planet, you know, kind of, kind of similar to, to early, maybe Superman, you know, there's just some right. things there that... No, let's be honest with Captain Marvel. What's the most important thing about him? This, Basically, that, that, that he died. Right. That's the only... Uh, the, the, the Starlin stories are, far, are fantastic, and I would recommend them to anyone. They're, they're beautifully written, and the same beautifully thing can illustrated. Be say, you can say the same thing about Uncle Ben. Right. The most we don't know a lot about Uncle Ben. The most important thing Uncle Ben did was, was get killed. Was die, exactly. And that's the same thing with Captain Marvel. He went out like a hero. And that is what we remember him for. And he will still do that. He will, uh, no matter what happens now, we will still have that story. It will exist in the time frame for which it was created. So that has not been tampered with. So let's move on. Keep going. I wasn't thrilled with the... So we know about the packaging. What I've liked a little bit more 
in the story than to follow up with to be continued in Captain Marvel number one. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay, I thought that was kind of neat that he was, that he has a tie into the negative zone, so we'll make him the warden. Um, it would have been neat if there were clues ahead of time. Um, like if, if, if when, in a, if an amazing 535, when, when, when Tony and Peter went into the, went into the negative zone so Peter could check out the, the prison. Yeah. If maybe he bumped his shoulder or if someone was walking by with blonde hair. Um, see, I'm glad there wasn't, I, I'm, well, I'm it, it, I would rather not. In this day and age, for an issue to be as surprising as this, I mean, yes, we saw the images that were leaked, but I think it was maybe a day before at the most. Oh, like the variant cover? No, right. A, a day or two before. It wasn't it, it wasn't like we have them now where three months, you know what happens. Right. You know, this issue was generally, overall, it was very surprising, which is... Uh, you got to give them credit. That's difficult to do in this day and age, with the the way the information is is distributed on the internet. It's it's almost impossible. But yeah, I, I'm glad it was a surprise because um, it 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 the, when I when I opened the page and I saw Marvell standing in the prison, I I was I said, oh my god. Oh, I, I I was too, and and when I say like hints earlier on, I just mean like not even most of the back of his head. I don't mean you know like you might be able to see his face or make out who the person is. I'm just saying like yeah. like those old those old hints, those throwaway nods that that you would find in old issues of Uncanny X Men. Yeah, I think that would have been too much, but I'm not. I I'm. That's just my opinion. They, they, because they otherwise, could have it been... feels like they, it was just okay. Well, who, who are we going to make the warden? Like three weeks before they they put out, they went to press. It's like, all right, who's going to be the warden? We're down to three different characters. Who's it going to be? Thor, Marvel, or and it was just like, okay, well, we'll make it Marvel. Right, but he's going to be the warden of shit because if what I think happens in seven comes to pass. There's not going to be a prison too much longer. No, no, there is. There right, is. but uh, maybe he can't leave the negative zone. Because the negative zone is such a huge part of Marvel's character, maybe because he was plucked through the time stream, maybe he can't leave the negative zone. So it makes perfect sense that they would say, in in light of your uh, present predicament, you'd be perfect to be a warden here. Which upstanding Marvel, good soldier that he is, he would. Um, and all he has to go by is what his quote unquote friends are telling him about right. his future. Exactly, exactly. And I, I love the way that he remembers the sentry though. That is that so is, yeah, that is that, so that, cool that. that they did that. And and I'm, and and possibly and the sentry might have something to do with with you know, World War Hulk. And yep. and he may you know, and which by the time Marvel's time is done here, maybe that might or, or before he leaves, that might have something to tie in to World War Hulk. I mean, I'm sure, and and we have, you know, Annihilation is over, or right. at least the miniseries is over. We have, you know, we'll have we'll have the cosmic stuff to worry about. So, it it might. I mean, the timing the timing does work. It it there's no. It it could have been done with more finesse, though. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Right. I mean, I don't I don't see this as anybody spitting on anybody's memory no. or anybody's no. previous work. 
And and what did you say to me when when you read this? You said, "But didn't they?" And I said, "Aha! We were thinking the same thing. That this is not the first time this was done, Captain. This is nothing new for Captain Marvel. In in Peter David's run, Volume Three, Issue Eleven, Peter David brought Captain Marvel back in a way very similar to this. Genesis." was pulled through a rip in the space-time continuum, blah, 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 back to the time of his father. And and who drew that issue? Oh, I believe that was a Mr. Jim Stone. Right. So it, instead of pulling Marvel forward through the time stream, they had Genesis transported back. And it may or may not be, I mean, uh, wasn't Thanos Magus? Instead of being Thanos, it was the he was the evil, the evil slice of warlock was supposedly Thanos. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was it was Captain Marvel, and for one issue he was back, and yeah. he was he was also back in. Uh, I mean, granted, the the cover says down among the dead, but he was also he was also in uh, Silver Surfer number sixty three, the series from the eighties. Right. So I mean it's not it's nothing new for Captain Marvel. It's just that this is a novel way th- th- they've done it and like we said on the last page of this little uh half story here he's going to get his own series. How long that's going to last? I don't know. Mini series, who knows. But I think the possibilities for greatness are very very good because y- you have a character that you can do anything to. And, and and you won't substantially alter this character because we all know he's going to have to go back and, and, and assume his fate. What could be better for a writer? Here, here's Captain Marvel. Go nuts. Do whatever you want. Not going to change him because he has to go back eventually. So that's so cool. writing for a sitcom, you know, within a half hour, nothing. Every, the, the, the last minute has to reflect the intro minute where... Anything can happen in that half hour, but at the end, it has to be the way it always is at the beginning of every episode. That's right. Captain Marvel's the Kenny of the Marvel Universe. Oh, he is. They're going to beat the crap out of him, send him, put him through his paces. In the end, oh my God, they killed Captain Marvel. It's going to be the same thing. No change. Which I think is really cool. The possibilities for great storytelling are endless. You could do a lot of great things with Captain Marvel, and he'll eventually either forget them all or uh, remember them on his deathbed. And uh, wasn't it uh, the one thing about uh, Captain Marvel 11 was that uh, he died alone in that universe, right? Yes. Uh, Instead of being surrounded by all the heroes, that was the one difference. He died by himself because everybody else was dead. Uh, The Thanos, a.k.a. Magus, had, had killed them all. That was what he didn't tell Janice. But, yeah, but that's besides the point. But uh, all in all, I mean, I thought it was a really good issue. I was a little upset that they didn't do it with a little bit more panache. Because Captain Marvel deserves a fitting return. And this is not it. And, and, and how about our buddy Darth Kramer disliked the issue so much that he uh, penned a little letter to Stephen Wacker? Yes. Yes, he did. Kramer says, Dear Mr. Wacker, I just finished reading Civil War The Return, and I must express how disappointed I was. When the solicitations for this issue were released, I knew this would happen, and I was afraid. Unfortunately, I didn't know that the method of his return would be such a cliché 
plot device. Eh. With, with this precedent set, what is stopping Marvel from going back in time and plucking out any random hero they want to? Sales are slumping, let's pluck a teen Iron Man out of the time stream. What? That's been done before? Exactly. I'm not sure you were a fan of Marvel Comics during those days, but this is precisely what I'm afraid of. This story was a major bomb. I'm afraid that Marvel's prolonged return will continue to cheapen the effect that his death had on me. I may have lost important family members to cancer, and Marvel's death was my catharsis. I still read it on the same day every year, the day my grandfather passed away following a very short illness where one day he was fine, the next he was at death's door. I'm afraid that if this return doesn't go well and it is swept under the rug, the memories of it will remain and keep this story out of the current generation's consciousness. In the end, I'm disappointed that Captain Marvel's return happened, but please make it matter. A character defined by his death should have remained in the grave, but since you have chosen to resurrect him, please don't harm these memories. Thank you, a concerned fan, Matthew A. Kramer. And you know where I take issue with this letter is that he's complaining about the lessened impact of the death. The death is still going to happen. It's just that when you have a, a vibrant and alive hero running around, it kind of diminishes that, uh, that story. I can understand that. I can understand his, his feelings for that. But the, the death of Captain Marvel is still going to happen somewhere along the line. And we still have that. We still have that story. Yeah. It's the not going away. The story go away just because, right, just because he's back. And it is a tough call. It's a real tough call. You would like to have... And because he wasn't, he wasn't zapped away by, by Doctor Doom. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't whisked away by, by Baron Mordo. He, he, he died of a very human and real illness. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that will hit people. That, that will hit a lot of people a certain way. And there's, you know, you're not going to be able to take away how someone feels about this story. It's, it's a strong story. It was, it, it, it was told in a way that few other stories were told at the time in this format. And and it was in a mainstream. It was a mainstream character. The, the format, the original Marvel graphic novel format, wasn't something that you'd really be able to find at your newsstand. But it was it, it was a story told that had a lot of uh, personal. It, it, it was personal by the author, and it was it was personal to a lot of fans. And and you're right that, that that's not going away. You can't take anything away from that. And I I am thankful that they didn't just bring him back to life. It's not like, you know, here lies Captain Marvel till 1982 and now mm -hmm. it's 2007 and he's, you know, they, they could scribble that off the, the, the grave marker and now he's back. He's, it's, it's the same person just at an earlier time. And, and, and they did it the only way they could do it. I have, I have no problem with them plucking it out at the time. I would rather have it that way than someone coming back to life. I, I didn't, I, I haven't read under the hood. So I don't know how they brought back Jason Todd. If 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 you know if Joker, if the Joker just beat him so close to death, but yet he didn't die. I don't know if 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 this boy crawled through the desert to 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 be able to to come back. I, I don't know what happened right. with that yet. And just okay, just I'm not going to reveal anything you haven't read yet. But let's just put it this way: Jason Todd right now is infinitely more interesting than the Jason Todd of back then. So, like Brubaker, 
and Bucky. They took a character who was, eh, he's all right. You know, he's okay. He's Robin. He's got an attitude, blah, blah, blah. He's a one-dimensional character. Look at what they've made him now. So Mm -hmm. if, if there's a chance of doing that with Captain Marvel, of building upon what's already been done and making him uh, maybe a better character uh, stranger things have happened and then wouldn't that if, if you then go and reflect on that if you if you read this if you read these stories now that they're going to tell with, with this Captain Marvel and you like this character and then not not in date of publication but the character's chronological timeline if now you go back and after you're, you've grown attached to this Captain Marvel in the stories that they're going to tell Mm-hmm. And then you go and read the death of Captain Marvel. Maybe that will then impact some of the people that didn't read it then, or normally read it. Now they might have a new insight on it. Yeah, I was pissed at Starlin when he took away the green and white Cree uniform and put him in the red and and uh, oh, really? yeah. It's, <laughs> what is this? This is not Captain Marvel. I, but hey, come on. You're missing the uh, yellow lightning bolt with the little cape. The and the only yeah, the talking tiger. That's right. The uh, and yeah, yeah, and that's another thing with this. I don't think it belongs shoehorned at the end of Civil War. No, no, it no. belongs in Annihilation. Oh, that's the cosmic supermarket right there. Uh, Captain Marvel is the king of cosmic, so why not at the end of Annihilation? The the the, the uh, well, let's not go into the end of annihilation until we've all read it. So, because I know there's a lot of people out there that are waiting to read it all at once. And uh, yes, I I, I think uh, uh, Cosmic goes hand in hand with Captain Marvel. He should have been in Annihilation, or better yet, a miniseries of his own. How about the Return, a miniseries? You know, yeah, yeah. Or or, yeah, or right. the Return, a one shot at the end of. Of uh, annihilation, not civil war. The only thing, the only link to civil war is the the, the prison. Oh, and, that's right, because you had the annihilation prologue. This could have been an annihilation epilogue, right? But um, so that's. I, I mean, when all is said and done, Bucky and and uh, Jason Todd and Captain Marvel, they're characters we love and we've grown with over the years. But in the end, they're nothing more than uh, money making devices that these publishing houses employ to do what? Make money. So if there's a chance they could make money, they're going to take it. And, and, I, and I completely understand, and I, I realize I'm cutting you off. I completely understand right. where, where where people like like Mr. Kramer. I mean, you know, he has an attachment to this character and to this character's ending story, his his final story. I understand, you know, people growing attached to certain characters, or you know, and it's because of that. And and I understand that because I was extremely pissed. When they made Hal Jordan go crazy. And I could not give two shits about Kyle Rayner. I wanted nothing to do with this character. I didn't want to, I didn't want to know boo from him. And now that he's, and now that Hal's back, it, it is one of the few DC books that I, that I buy and I enjoy. So I it's, I, I, I'm, I'm with, I'm with any fan of a character that wants to see the character done right and treated the way the character's always been treated. And, and you know, we the, the, first of all, these aren't our... These aren't, they don't belong to us. They, they obviously belong to someone else. But They belong to the you, stockholders. Right. And, and you, but, but you grow an attachment. It's like, you know, it's like if you watch the same, the same movie or, or, or read the same book 
or in, in this in, in Matt's case, reading the same story every every year at the same time. You know, there's there's something there, and if when when things just mess that up, when someone shakes that snow globe, it's you know you you, you lose your footing. You're just you're trying to make sure you're trying to make sense of what's going on. As we ha- as we heard in episode eighteen, yes. With the toilets flushing and the people screaming and crying and dogs did, did, was was there a, was there a disclaimer saying that the the, <laughs> the, ex, the the views expressed therein did not reflect those? No, of, no, I should have. Right? That would have that would have uh, sealed the deal right from the beginning. But uh, no, I just wanted to make sure that we were not a part of it, so it didn't look like it came from us. Well, X fifty one did say that. No, that's right. No, David. This so. is what heaven feels like. I know. Yeah. Okay, so before we um, grow roots here, let's uh, move on and get into the DeBell Brothers interviews, the first of which is with Mr. Jake Black of Orson Got Cards Worms. And you'll notice we've been saying the the DeBell Brothers, Mm -hmm. and you've heard us in the past, especially in the previous episodes, you've called it the the Dabble Brothers, the Dable Brothers. Dable Brothers, yeah. Well, I'm not sure if it's if if it's in the initial if it's in the beginning of the interview with with Mr. Black, but uh, but he pretty much schools us on That's right. the fact, and, and he because he he does believe, and I and he's probably spoken to him, so he would probably know, and I'm sure Mr. Card has spoken to the DeBells, and and you know he would in in turn tell Mr. Black how to pronounce it. So we were kind of uh, informed that it is DeBell. Uh, it is DeBell, right? But because we 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 live in our own weird time warp, and we were plucked out of an earlier time. Our interview with uh, Mr. Montenegro, we uh, we we pronounce it Dabel or right. Nabel or in any way but what may be the actual right. phrasing. Because chronologically, it came before. Yes, Jake Black's interview. But um, so chalk it up to a lesson learned. And thank you, Jake Black, for giving us the power of correct pronunciation. That's yes. very important because now we rule in the comic shops. We'll walk in and say, oh, look, I, I, I really enjoy this book. And the comic shop owner will say, oh, that Dable Brothers book? And you say, oh, you flat-headed mendicant. It's <laughs> DeBell. They look at us strange anyway you slice it. So we're used to it. Bathe. That's right. <laughs> so on with the interviews. Enjoy. Tonight, we have the writer charged with the unenviable task of adapting Orson Scott Card's Worms for Marvel Comics under the DeBell Brothers imprint. Please welcome, everyone, Mr. Jake Black. Hello, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. It's so good to have you here. Let's start off with the obvious question. What is your comics background? Are you a longtime fan or a recent convert? I've been a fan for a, a lot of years. Um, I grew up on the Super Friends cartoon and have been a, a Superman fan the whole time. I bought my first uh, Superman comic in 1987, and I've read Archie and all kinds of comics over the years. Every, everything from you know light, fluffy kid stuff with Archie to dark, heavy Vertigo books and that kind of thing. Excellent. So, did the desire to become a writer somehow spiral out of the uh, love for comics, or was it the other way around? Um, I think, I think it, it's kind of a chicken and the egg question mm-hmm. there. Um, I've always been 
writing stories and generally like fan fiction stuff. I, when I was 10 years old, I sent a 40-page Star Trek fan script, uh, fan script to DC Comics, and when they sent back a very nice letter um, critiquing the script, I made some revisions and then sent it to Paramount, and Paramount sent me a letter back from their legal department saying, you know, we can't look at things like this. And so for a 10-year-old kid, that's a pretty almost overreaction, you might think, but it certainly fed my, my writer's passion for the last several years. It's quite an honor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I still, I still have the, uh, the rejection letter from DC Comics. It was written by Bob Greenberger, who was an editor at DC for a lot of years. Uh, yeah. And he, he gave, just gave me some advice on how to be a successful writer. And so, you know, when you're a 10-year-old kid and you get a letter on how to be a good writer, DC letterhead, it's a pretty, pretty important thing in your life, pretty important milestone. I would say so. Uh, just so we can paint the picture for everyone, you're relatively young, correct? Um, I, I guess so. I'm 27. Wow. And you somehow managed to snag the gig to adapt Orson Scott Card's Worms. That just boggles my mind. So I'm assuming the majority of our audience has never read Worms. How would you summarize the events of the novel for the uh, the long underwear crowd? It it's not an easy work to crack. Well, I I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it is a pretty accessible book, um, except that you know it's not Ender's Game. It's not in that Ender's universe, so it's perhaps not as excuse me as well read as some of other of Orson Scott Card's work. Um, but as far as the summary of it, it's the human race settled a distant planet 5,000 years ago, from before the time of the, the book. And there was a prophecy made, the 777777777 granddaughter of the starship captain that settled the planet would effectually be the mother of their messiah. And this particular granddaughter is a character named Patience, who starts the book at 13 and then eventually is 16. She's an assassin for the king, and it's not the, the true king. Her father is supposed to be king, but he's not. He's been usurped. and So she's kind of biding her time, waiting to take over the crown. In the meantime, there is the villain of the book, a, a large slug worm-like creature named Unworm who uh, wants to make sure that she never gives birth to the Messiah unless he fathers it. And then this breed of slug-human hybrids will take over the planet. Right. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty high science fiction. <laughs> but And that's where Card is very deceptive, where on the surface it plays out like a standard you know your your average science fiction actioner but there's a lot going on beneath the surface with right. the the roles of destiny and 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 free will and but uh in the beginning especially the first chapter i think the first chapter is brilliant it's it's one of the most perfect lead-ins i've ever read to a novel where he he not only gets you to sympathize with the main character patience in that she's she lives in relative squalor on purpose to toughen her up 
and and she she bathes in ice water, but she she welcomes it because she knows she needs it to survive the trials ahead of her. And and you instantly latch on to this girl and her strength and her resolve, and it's just a brilliant character. I I I think she's she's one of the strongest female leads I've read in a long long time. Right, I, I agree, and I think that's something you won't see it quite as much in the first issue, but certainly in the other five, where Patience definitely shows her strength and her power. It's really exciting for me to to have been able to handle such a strong female character. I'm all about girl power in a general sense. And so for me to to do this story with Patience was just a tremendous thrill. Now, how closely do you work with Card? Does every facet of your script have to meet with his approval, or...? It does, yeah. Um, I when I, I did this project, I actually wrote this almost two years ago. Um, and as far as how closely I work with with uh, Scott Card, he uh, he was writing Iron Man at the time, and through a mutual friend, I tracked down his contact information. I had spent the first four years working with Smallville and had a little bit of comic experience through Smallville, and to know how to further my career and again through a mutual friend tracked him down and I asked him what advice would you have for me and he said just keep doing what you're doing and by the way I've just sold the rights to my novel Worms uh, it's going to be produced by the DeBell brothers do you want to take a shot at adapting that and I said absolutely he put me in contact with the DeBells and I scripted it over the course of about six or seven weeks and as I would turn the scripts in, the DeBells would send them over to Scott, and he would have to approve them. And we made some rewrites and some edits and that kind of thing based on his feedback. But for the most part, um, he was very pleased with the adaptation. Oh, good. It's good to know that he's he cares about his works to uh, maintain a hands-on approach, where yeah, you, very much. we've seen in the past some authors will just you know sign their name to the front uh, cover and then let whoever adapt willy nilly whatever they want, but that that's really good and uh, very interesting. Um, now, and just just a side story about this, really quick. Yeah, Scott Scott and I went to lunch about a year ago, just just after I finished the sixth issue, finished the the script for the final issue, and he told me straight out. He said, "I'm I'm just amazed because you." portrayed a better relationship between Wreck and Ruin, who are two characters in the book, mm-hmm. than he feels the book has for them. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah, yeah did, a did, tremendous compliment. Absolutely. Did, did you read the book, the novel, when it initially came out, or is this something that you just read later on and, and had an attachment to it, or did you not read it at all before the, the um, project? I, I, I read it when he first mentioned that he was looking for a writer to do the adaptation, oh, okay. and I read it over the course of like two days. So that way, when I went into the negotiations with the Devels, it was you know fresh in my mind, right. and I've, I've since read it probably five times in doing the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Now, Mister Card is not very extravagant in terms of the language he used to describe, say, the physical characteristics of his characters. Like when when Angel enters the pig picture early on in the first chapter he he's merely there he doesn't really say here is a large man with a shock of blonde hair or you know and and especially in the uh the treaty sequence now we know that lyra 
is uh, dressed in in finery and she's about to be well she hopes she's about to be uh wed to this this young man but they they never really describe in detail the way she's dressed or you know the way she looks right. now since card leaves it up mostly to the reader to formulate these images of his characters did this make it more difficult for you to convey information to Adriano Battista that you know, doesn't exist in the novel itself. So is this Orson Scott Card as interpreted by Jake Black as interpreted by Adriano Battista? Like, I think, I think it's somewhere in the middle between those two. Uh, we certainly sat down um, with the editors on the book, and Scott and I had some conversations about this, um, to get it a little more specific. And then, of course, uh, Adriano brought his own take on my take, Mm-hmm. on Orson Scott Card's words. And I, I know that um, Adriano did a lot of test sketches and that he sent those out to, to Orson Scott Card, and I looked at them and the editors looked at them until we finally came to a point where we, we really liked the look of everything. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of Adriano's sketches on the uh, DeBell Brothers page. The, the right, sketches, right. oh, they're gorgeous. Yeah, it yeah, one, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Yeah, one better than the next, and the yeah. the unworm is disgusting. It really is, <laughs> as he should be. Yeah, he did yes. a, he did a great job on that. And uh, Lord Peace looks awesome, and Angel does not look like I pictured him. Yeah, I, I uh, are you familiar familiar with the um, the executioner? in the Marvel Universe who hangs out with the Enchantress, big bald. That's For some reason, that's what I picture Angel to look like. But uh, that's probably me. (laughs) But these, every... Well, and that's that's the challenge that you have when you take any literature and put it into a visual medium, you know? Whether it's film or comics or whatever, Hermione Grange looks nothing like I imagined her when I was reading Harry Potter. (laughs) Right. Do you know if if any of the the DeBell brothers or... The publishers, if if Orson Scott Card has gotten any feedback, because obviously Worms is just getting underway, but uh, Red Prophet's been out for a few months now. Has the, has anybody has any of the uh, Orson Scott Card's fans been uh, either for or against the way that the comics have been presented based on the novels that they've been reading over the years? I, I haven't heard anything about that. I can tell you though. Um, that I was set to do a signing at my local comic shop on the day that Worms comes out, uh, which is Valentine's Day. And uh, they just notified me today that Worms number one is already so popular that they're having a hard time being able to order enough to do a signing. Ooh, to just, you know. Wow. Yeah, so... I, That's bittersweet. Yeah, well, it would seem to me that uh, that the fan response is probably pretty positive, if that's the case. But I haven't seen any figures or anything like that specifically. I haven't read any message board postings or anything. Oh, I think it'll be very popular if if it's in in turn in keeping with the the quality of the sketches. It's probably much better. Uh, one can only assume that it's going to be and really big. I mean, just just the uh, the Bell Brothers track record so far under Marvel. I mean, how many right. how many printings has Anita Blake gone through already? Many in the first few issues. Many. So yeah. And to be honest, Patience is a much stronger character than Anita Blake. So uh, I would think that the crossover potential for this book is even more 
immense than it it would be for the uh, Anita Blake stuff. Mm-hmm. She's uh, patience is a is a tough cookie, and I, I think yeah. I think when this book gets in into uh, the hands of female readers, they're going to really respond to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so. I'm, I, obviously, that that's one of the great things that the Devels are bringing to comics. I think is that they're bringing in people that aren't generally comic readers and normally comic readers. And I and I would anticipate and really hope that we will see a, a spike in female readership as books like Anita Blake and Worms become as prominent in the industry as they are. The comic industry needs more female readers. And I'm, uh, like yourself, I'm all for strong female characters if that's Absolutely. what it takes to bring in more readers. Um, back to your scripts. How detailed are your scripts? Uh, very detailed. Because I'm... I'm very, very detailed okay. in my script. Mm-hmm. Does Adriano speak English? Yes. So that's a, a plus. But right. uh, <laughs> I mean, as with a book like this, I guess you couldn't be too descriptive. I mean, there's so much to to to, uh, to work with in this novel, which brings me to my next question. Uh, how, with a work as dense and layered as Worms, how do you decide what elements to retain and what to discard? Mm-hmm. That was that was the hardest part of the job by far. Um, I like like I said, I read it once through before I got the job, and then I went back and I really, really picked it apart. Um, how do you decide? I think I think what I had to do was I had to be familiar enough with the story and the where Patient's journey was going to take her and make sure that I hit the key touchstone points on her journey. And as long as I got those in my 22 pages of scripting, you know, um, then I was confident that it was going to continue to tell the story, even though I don't have all of the layers necessarily. But at the same time, I have an extra help because, you know, the, the adage, a picture tells a thousand words. Right. And I can put five, six pictures on a page. That's a chapter's worth, almost. Wow, okay. Now, just, I, I'd like a little bit of a peek into the first issue. Does it end with the culmination of the um, translation sequence? No. Ooh. <laughs> it, uh, it, it starts, actually, with in the middle of the translation sequence. The first built in the cover and the first page is Patience has got her uh, her loop around her neck mm-hmm. and she's in the middle of the translation sequence and then we cut back to earlier that day lead back up through the translation sequence and Patience's father may or may not be in the best condition by the end of the first issue oh, I'll that, just leave it at that that's Ooh. brilliant that's a yeah. brilliant way to do it <laughs> yeah see that's why you're adapting it because I would have did it page. <laughs> <laughs> that that is that's that's stunning because you're 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 hitting them with the gut punch and then wow it's an emotional high it's great I, I can't wait to read that first issue based on how detailed your, your scripts are how how far in advance did you write your scripts before you saw Adriano's pencils um, what, what what issue were you up to and then you started to see the pages from the first issue come in I was done oh okay so so there was, as I was going to yeah. ask if you if you would have considered uh, altering your layouts or, or writing style for the artist based on, on how you know their strengths or weaknesses. I mean, here it wouldn't apply, but if, if, if 
you would with any particular. I mean, if if Adriano looks like he can put a lot of detail in the pages, obviously, so you can pretty right. much go hog wild on on your scripts. But for someone that uses a lot of open spaces or leaves room for word balloons or captions, would would, would you have changed your style in any way? Um, probably. I have on other projects. Um, okay. Yeah. So I on. We'll we'll talk about these a little more in depth in a minute, but I've done a couple of Ninja Turtle books, and the artist that I worked with on one of them, I knew his style ahead of time and tried a little more to tailor the script to his style. Excellent. Okay. So with Adriano, did you go as far as to suggest, say, camera angles? Like, I want a widescreen for this shot. Yep. Oh, cool. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, my, my training is, more in play and TV than it is in comic book writing. Um, you know, I, I can't... It's so funny that Worms is coming out through Marvel because I just I can't imagine doing the Marvel style of writing. Right. I'm a, I think I'm a little too possessive, a little too anal retentive for that. Um, so, you know, my, my stage directions are very specific. Well, it, it helps that you're under the, the Bell Brother imprint because that seems like a, an autonomous segment of the company which is good you can you right. can you can do that and it would probably be hard to to write an uh, an adaptation based on a, another work and another medium as under the quote-unquote marvel method right and I, yeah I, I can't imagine that at all actually <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah you're right I, I can't i can't picture stan lee you know uh, adapting worms there'd be a lot of room for for the artist to do whatever he would want to do well right and I, and I didn't know who the artist was going to be even when I started scripting. And I just, I did an issue a week for six weeks and then, you know, just fired them out. And then I think it was a couple of months later before I started to see any of the conceptual sketches or anything like that. So, as I recall, again, again, a couple of years since we started this project, so I don't remember specifically, but I, I think that's how it played out. Right, okay. I didn't finish the novel yet, so I wasn't sure if mm. if if the novel ends, if it's open ended or not at the ending, and if if because this is only six issues, if if this if you would ever have the ability, you know, is there a possibility of expanding on Patience's universe or her story afterwards, you know, or or would you know because this is it, this is an, ad, an adaptation of the novel, so obviously Orson Scott Card has final say on it, but if if sales warranted if, if people actually enjoyed these characters and and people asked for a series of based on on you know expanding from worms based on patience and 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 wreck and ruin do you think you'd be able to write anything not adapted from a novel would you be able to actually create stories on your own for, um, for the comics i think the the novel and the, the comics do end pretty conclusively Okay, but I think I think there's certainly potential. You know, there there are certainly characters that are interesting enough to revisit. But having said that, the the story of Worms is told completely. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So how's that for dancing around the the question? That, that that'll work. <laughs> that that answers my question. <laughs> Absolutely. Now earlier today we spoke with Miguel Montenegro, the illustrator of Orson Scott Card's Red Prophet. And, oh, okay. and and while I was researching that series, 
I was amazed at the thematic similarities between Red Prophet and Worms. With mm. the the Alvin Maker is the seventh seventh son, while and then you have Patience is the seventh 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 seventh. Destiny and Fates play a major role in both of these tales. Right. It, it's as just, they do in as they do in Ender's Game. Right. 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 So it's it's like this conceptual continuity that weaves its way through all of Card's work. Uh, is mm-hmm. there is there any chance of Ender's coming to the Bell Brothers? I don't think I can talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, um, sorry on that one. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no, that's all right. So, so, all right, let's do it this way. So, what's in store for Jake Black in the future? Um, well, I do. I do have a couple of projects that we're just starting with the Bell Brothers that should be announced relatively soon. Um, I'm not sure the t- the exact time frame on them, but but you can you know keep watching the comic news wires mm-hmm. both announcements. I've also got a couple of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie tie-in comics. A, a kid's book I did for that same movie is just out. Um, I'm a, a writer for um, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I'm a sometimes writer for Wizard Magazine. Yeah, yeah, and then of course Smallville. Like I'm still, I'm still doing a myriad of projects for Smallville, um, doing short stories that take place between the episodes in the official magazine, and working on a DVD feature that'll be on the next uh, DVD set. Wow, excellent! Oh, that's great. Are there any uh, convention appearances coming up for uh, for the for you for for 2007? Yeah, actually, I'll be at uh, Emerald City Comic Con. I'll be at the Mirage booth uh, promoting the Ninja Turtle stuff. The Emerald City in Seattle, that convention is the weekend after the Ninja Turtles movie comes out. Oh, okay. And so we'll be there. We'll be there in full Turtle Force. We have a couple of uh, listeners that, well, Cinch in particular, who lives in Canada, he always makes his way to the to the Emerald City Con. Mm-hmm. Excellent. The trailer for that film looks incredible. It does. It does. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I had access to the script, and you know I've seen just the same things that you guys have with the trailer. Mm-hmm. But if you're a if you're a Turtles fan, it's fantastic. Like it's the closest to the comics, the original Eastman oh. Laird comic of anything that I've seen in other media. Plus, it has my favorite character in all of the Turtles comics in it, and just Sarah Michelle Gellar is a voice in it. Um, Kevin Smith has a cameo in it. Patrick Stewart is a character in it, so it's wow. You know, it's Who's not your really favorite a character. Uh, Karai. Okay, mm-hmm. I've heard uh, no Shredder this time around. Yeah, and actually, that's that's really good. Shredder, uh, Shredder was really only in like two or three of the original comics, so he was just such a fantastic image that he became popular in the cartoon. So, right. you can't beat the Eastman and Laird stuff. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. Just Definitely not. Yep. great stuff. And I've I've read almost all of all of them, going back to the original stuff up through the latest Turtles run. So that's a lot of research. Yeah, yeah, a lot of years of research. Yeah. yeah, I think the only one to do it as well as the original team was Rick Veach. His river issues are brilliant. I was just going to guess that. They're brilliant. Issue 26, yeah. Yep. The the first Turtles project I did um, was actually 
I, I worked with uh, Peter Laird on the story, so it's, you know he's he's still very much involved in what gets out there. Yeah, Peter's a great guy too. Yeah, they both are. I just have one more convention appearance. That sure, I, oh, sure. Got mention. I'll be in uh, it's the Calgary Comic Expo in Calgary, Alberta, which I, I think is um, at the end of April. Okay. So I'll, I'll be at Emerald City at the first of April, and then in Calgary. In the end of April, so you'll definitely run into our friend Cinch from Canada. He's he's a conventioneer. He'll he'll probably be there. He'll probably search you well, down cool. for, for for your autograph or signature <laughs> on on a book or two. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I hope he introduces himself. Oh, he will. But uh, y- your plate is very much full. So yeah, uh, I don't yeah, see much room for convention appearances with everything you're writing. Yeah. <laughs> well. Like I say, worms is done. <laughs> <laughs> do you do, do you work at home? Do you leave the house? Come out now. Yeah, well, so will um, we. Yeah, I, uh, I I do work at home. And okay, so that's easy. I have, I have a very supportive wife, and it's just it's a wonderful thing. My wife will also be at the conventions with me. So. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Say you were offered uh, a series by Marvel. Anything you wanted to do, any character from the Marvel universe that you wanted to use was. Okay, what would you do? Which character? And what book? Um, you know, it, it's funny because at heart I'm a DC man. Oh. And so I don't really have a preference on a Marvel story. Uh, who invited this guy? I know. Is, this ever, <laughs> is this interview going to air? <laughs> well, at least he's honest. Well, for the, for, 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 for the DC fans then, who, who, would, uh, who, would, who, who would they be lucky enough to have the uh, take There you on? go. That's a good way to look at it. Um, there you go. I... I would love to. Uh, I would love to do Supergirl, but at the same time, Joe Kelly's a pal of mine, and I'm loving his run on the book. So, um, I'm doing a project um, that he helped me find, and he's he's helping edit it for me. It's not it's not a comic book thing, but again, it's one of those things where my I'm contractually obligated to or forbidden contractually forbidden from discussing it. So ah, at this point, okay. love those things. Yeah, yeah. So Joe's a fantastic guy. Aside from characters you'd like to work with, are there any any artists that uh, that you'd really enjoy working on a project with? Um, I will say Michael Turner. Why not? Right? And I, I don't know. He's over at the House of Ideas now, so I can I can pick up a book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I will say this. Um, I actually just bought just this week uh, the, the Civil War hooded sweatshirt. So oh, nice. I'm, I'm slowly crossing over. To the to the other side. Oh, there you go. Just close your eyes and and and, and lean back, and it, it won't hurt at all. You know. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I think it's my first publication was with DC, and right. so I have I have a, a bit of loyalty oh, there. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Working, working, working on Smallville for six years. Yes, definitely. Oh, of course. For them, but I I have enjoyed the Civil War stuff. I. When Spider-Man took his mask off, I uh, I was right there, thinking, a, it's about freaking time, and b, how long <laughs> is it really going to last? It's you know? it's the truth. Uh, I, I I can imagine it lasting for quite a while if if Mister Casada yeah. uh, is uh, true to his word. So we right. can look forward to yeah. that. Yeah, and you know I I really I have a, a soft spot in my heart for Jeff Loeb also. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with Wolverine. So it's, yeah. 
would you have anything else you'd like to uh, plug? Um, I don't think so. I think I fit it all in. Okay. <laughs> if we can send people to jakeblack.com. Cool. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, indeed. We'll uh, and we will have uh, we'll, we'll we'll put links up on the on the forum when the episode goes live. So this way, anybody that uh, anybody that talks about this episode, this interview, they'll be able to also hit that site. We'll put up the uh, the link to uh, the DeBell Brothers so people can check out their forums as well. So they can also look at the uh, the cool. images that we looked at from Adriano. All right. Great. Perfect. Well, Mr. Black, thank you for being here. We we loved having you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for stopping by. Hey, Vince and Dave. It's Trevor calling from Brampton, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I'm Ratnaf on the boards. And um, just after the uh, Civil War, the return, and all of our lovely phone-ins regarding our, our dismay, um, it was mentioned on the boards that... that uh, phoning in and basically discussing um any other big events would be would be a worthwhile one one of the ones that were mentioned was the annihilation series which i've been following uh quite diligently i bought the four four issue limited series which would be um super scroll silver surfer nova and ronin and then I bought, of course, the six issues of the real series, as well as the uh, the Nova Corps files. I believe was the the uh, special that just had pages talking about the the characters. Um, one annihilation I think w- was attempting to do, and I believe it was very successful in this attempt, was to infuse new blood and new interest into the uh, the large cosmic component of uh, Marvel and Marvel's characters. Um, It was nice that the series brought a lot of people from a lot of different places, uh, a lot of the heralds that we've met over the years, uh, a lot of the the cosmic people like Blastar or or, uh, the various Marvels and uh, Quasar and the Nova Corps. And, and a whole bunch of different people and, and sort of gave them a united purpose. Um, it was also interesting that it was timed for the same time as Civil War and that Civil War is mentioned in it as in, shouldn't we ask the Earth's heroes for help? And they're like, no, no, they're too busy, you know, fighting amongst themselves. It was it was sort of interesting that it was done in that timeline. Um, but it was, it was a really well-done series. Uh, when I first bought it, it's because uh, ever since I read the Infinity Gauntlet, the first uh, one, uh, I sort of got a liking for uh, Thanos and Adam Warlock, and I bought all of the Infinity series, and I bought um, Warlock and the Infinity Watch for a good length of its run, and I've been following those series, you know, on and off ever since. And uh, I will admit, probably in the last five or six years, there's been a dearth of titles. There was no Silver Surfer title anymore. There was no uh, major cosmic titles. There was no Quasar. There was uh, Nova Corps, anything like that. So it was nice to see the a, a big story happen uh, out in the, the cosmic world and have all the major players brought into it. Uh, I think they did a really neat job in how uh, Annihilus basically comes from the negative zone and, and tries to destroy our or, or take over our place because he's already you know completely leached everything out of the negative zone um, it was really really well done um, uh, a 
a lot of surprises as far as some of the stuff that happened. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert, if you don't want any spoilers, you know, disregard the rest of this message because you'll probably be mad at me. Uh, Silver Surfer returns to being a herald of Galactus. Galactus is captured and, and uh, imprisoned for a while and then released. Uh, most surprisingly, Thanos is killed. Um, the Nova Corps are wiped out. Uh, Super Scroll dies and is reborn. The Scroll, I believe, is a race is is almost obliterated, if not mostly obliterated. The Kree Supreme Intelligence is killed, and Ronan the Accuser becomes the leader of the Kree. Um, Quasar dies. Uh, Phyla, who's somehow related to Marvel. Uh, is now possibly going to become the new Quasar. Um, Drax has gone missing. Um, a couple of big bad guys, one of them being Tenebrius, I believe, and I can't remember his counterpart, the female, that took out Galactus. They're now out in the universe doing whatever it is they're going to be doing. Um, the um, sort of Annihilus' version of the Heralds, so he has his people who use their own type of cosmic energy that is an equal and opposite of uh, the cosmic power that the, the the heralds use. They're out there and they're still possibly doing stuff. The death of Annihilus, but not. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. There's really, for for basically uh, a 10-month period that this has lasted, there have done a lot of major... Uh, not so much changes, but revisits to the cosmic world, and, and they gave it such a big event that so much could change that it would it would pique a lot of interest. Uh, so I'm really glad to see that um, that that happened because I, I am a bit of a uh, I, I like the cosmic stories that do exist, you know, the science fiction element as opposed to the the more heroy element that exists on um, most of the other stories. Um, so I will be buying the two Herald of Galactus uh, follow-ups that are pretty much, in my understanding, an epilogue of some of these events. Um, the only series that appears to be coming out of this is the is Nova, um, where the Nova Corps, as I said, were wiped out, but there's one of them left, Richard Ryder, the guy from Earth, and he's now got all of the Nova Corps stuff in him as opposed to spread across all of them. So they're going to make that into the the only series. Eh, I don't know if I'll follow that because I've never been a big fan of Nova. Uh, really didn't know much about him until this series, which is odd, but it's true. But really, I think I think it was a really good series for anybody out there who uh, who may have uh, missed the uh, single issues. I would suggest you go find the trade and, and either borrow it for somebody or you know just buy it for yourself. Um, I think it was a really, really good story. It, it did a good job of, of giving you enough information of who the players were without overloading you so that you could you could follow the events and not have to go, who, what, where? Um, so I, I think it's good. I'd like to... I, I'm hoping that the uh, the cosmic stuff picks up. I'm wondering now that Captain Marvell is back in the universe whether... Um, because he is a cosmic player, whether that's you know whether he's going to be the other cosmic title that doesn't come out of this but is brought out, and he can really follow the trail or the wake of this event. Um, 
I did find it really interesting that the whole event and all the stuff that happened in it, big war, big cataclysmic event, the very end of it, you know, peace treaty, peace treaty is signed, which is kind of ironic because both both sides were going for the throat the entire time. And then at the very, very end of it, it's like all that was meaningless because it's just going to happen again. The, 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 the players are going to build themselves up to the point where they, they, they bring themselves to war because they haven't learned. And I wonder how much of that subtext uh, has to do with the state of the world today that, that, that um, you know, we've seen two, you know, vicious wars uh, in the last century. And we haven't learned because we're we're sitting on the brink. Like was it five minutes to midnight according to the atomic clock? Um, you know. So you know wh- what do we do? Anyways, I think it was a really good series, and uh, I hope this message wasn't too long. And if it was, it'll be my own fault. And you can all send me messages and PM me and tell me I'm an evil man. Anyways, guys, thanks for the uh, the excellent podcasts. And uh, in the meantime, make mine Marvel. <laughs> We're here with Miguel Montenegro, artist of Red Prophet, Tales of Alvin Maker, which is published under Marvel's Dable Brother imprint. So welcome to the show, Miguel. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hello. And for those who've listened to the show, uh, there's another Miguel lurking in the background. You already know who he is. Uh, he'll pop up from time to time. Pay him no attention. Miguel, uh, when did you first become uh, interested in comics? Well, at a very early age. Um, I, I think I always read comic books. My father used to buy me uh, some Disney comics when I was sick or whatever, um, and I remember this going on for since since ever. And uh, later on, I I discovered uh, superheroes, and um, at age eleven, I decided I wanted to be a comic book artist, and that's pretty much it. Ah, now when you say your father bought you comics. Yeah. Uh, Miguel tells me that the comic book industry in Portugal is far different than the way we experience it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, you don't buy, it's mostly anthologies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they have a delay of several years. Well, now it's, it's different. Now um, we are pretty much um, at the same pace as, uh, as the comics come out. Uh, in the states, but um, when I was a kid, we were reading comics with a I don't know maybe five six years delay. So um, in 1990, I was reading you know books from from John Byrne, you know like stuff he was doing on the Fantastic Four or his X Men run. And weren't they all of them almost uh, all of them digests uh, under the uh, Abril Control Journal imprint? Uh, what's that? I mean, mo- most of them were digests, weren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely, yeah. The format sucked completely. Yeah, it, w- it was smaller, uh, yeah. but uh, the paper was pretty good. It was actually better than the original comics. Um, of course, we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know that comics in the States were printed in a different format. Um, we just assumed um, it was the same thing, only translated to Portuguese. And in terms of cost... They're they're much more expensive over there, correct? Um, 
You mean you mean like now? Yeah, like a single comic would cost, say, uh, in comparison to our two dollars and ninety nine cents. How much would that mm-hmm. cost you in, say, euros? In euros, well, if I had to uh, translate euros to dollars, I would say probably four dollars now, because we import them, and um, I mean, I'm talking about imported comics, so mm-hmm. they they necessarily have an increase of price. Um, I don't think we have um, comics coming out on a regular basis now. No, we don't. Um, They've yeah. stopped making them. We, we, we had them, but apparently the, the sales values weren't enough to, to compensate actually paying mm. translators or whatever. So they actually stopped making them. So now we have the minis, small collections, stuff like that. Yeah, special issues. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of a neat way to read them when you get a whole chunk of uh, a series at once, regardless of the format. That's even, oh, yeah, yeah. even if it is a couple years out of date, it, it's yeah. uh, um, a more enjoyable reading experience than twenty-two page pamphlet, I would think. Which is, you know, it's two ways of looking at it. So, Red Prophet, how did you ever get hooked up with Marvel? Uh, well, um. Bill Tortolini um, from uh, Devil Brothers um, have have he had talked to me um, for quite some time um, for me to do something for them. But at the time I was um, working on some other book and I couldn't find uh, an open in my schedule to work with them. Um, and as soon as that happened, um, I, I gave him a call and I said, "Hey, do you have anything for me?" And um, he did. And um, it was a, a major surprise when he told me that uh, Devil Brothers was going to be a part of Marvel. So um, that's how it happened. Uh, it was no big plan, you know. It's, it just happened, and it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's a very, very interesting title. You started with issue number four, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so you will be penciling from four to 12. Yeah, I think I will, yes, yes. Cool. I would think that a, a book like this would be uh, both a blessing as a, and a curse to an illustrator because uh, on, on the one hand, it's got this very rich story and these mm-hmm. vibrant characters, but in, in terms of illustrating this book, there, there's everything in there that would make me as an il- illustrator cringe. You have horses children you know it, it's a period yeah. piece so there there's a lot of research going on uh yeah. is it extremely time consuming and difficult uh process for you to do an issue um i think that what takes more time is doing the layouts because the book has a lot of script into it um so i need to plan my layouts very carefully to make sure that we leave room for all the captions um, which is cool. I take it as a as a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I I always do like a, a mock up lettering um, over my layouts. You know, just make sure everything is in place. Um, as for the rest, you're right. It's quite challenging. Everything else. Um, but uh, I love drawing horses, and it's a great opportunity to do it. And uh, kids, I always had a lot of problems drawing kids. So I'm finally getting a chance to to learn how to draw kids, which is also cool. So, that, so I'm, I'm I'm very happy in this book. That's very good. You, you you're looking at it as a challenge. So you're growing with the book, which is most gr- definitely which yeah. is yeah. great. And uh, I, I was especially surprised in issue five 
the yeah. se- the sequence where the Indians torture uh, Alvin and his brother. Uh-huh. It, it was a very brutal sequence, but you almost there was almost a humor to it. Where it, it, it was almost funny that these Indians were being thwarted. Every time they try to hurt this kid, they couldn't do it. So it, it, yeah. it, it got progressively more funny as it went along. But I wouldn't want to be in that kid's place. You know, I think yeah. I think you did a fantastic job on that, just showing the predicament that these kids were in, and it went on for page after page. It was a very excellent excellent work. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I, I do invest a lot of time in the in the storytelling part it's really what drives me um in, in this to, to make comics you know i like to tell stories visually and um um and yeah yeah i, I think it, it's very important to show how a, a character evolves um in a, in a particular scene so it, i wanted to show that the indians were growing frustrated um uh for not being able to to hurt the kids mm-hmm. and not knowing what was going on. I, th- I think you pulled it off remarkably well. Uh, <laughs> and now, how much of this that we ac- eventually see on the page is your input, and how much is Mr. Brown's? Like, uh, are his plot especially uh, detailed, or does he leave you room to interpret his directions as you would see fit? Uh, they are quite detailed, and I try to follow it, uh, the, the script, as much as possible. But uh, here and there, I will try to do my own thing, you know, and uh, sometimes I have to do it um, just um, to accommodate the text. Some some scenes you can't really draw as they were written. Um, you need to, you know, to place the camera somewhere else. Um, and, and it actually, I think, comes up uh, better, you know, because I, I get to see his idea, and then I bring mine, and then I compare both, and I pick what uh, I feel will work better. Mm-hmm. And um, so far, I've had a lot of freedom from Devil Brothers to do this book. I've had a lot of creative uh, freedom, which I pretty much enjoy. Uh, it, it's it's great. It's great having the, the ability, the, the, the possibility to um, tell the story um, uh, in the way I feel will work better. Right. How uh, how how much like George Lucas with with any Star Wars properties does does Orson Scott Card have final say or does he ever send anything back saying no no I don't think this is right? Has have you ever gotten any any feedback from him whether good or bad? Um, so far, um, it's been great. Um, I, I've I've had a, an okay from everything. Um, he, he, he pointed out that uh, maybe the kids were looking um, a little bit too much on the same uh, age range and he noted that um, uh, Alvin is, uh, is the younger of the brothers so I should make that more clear and, um, and we, are, we are working on that, on that now I think it will be more clear now on issue, in issue 6 Excellent. In issue number 5 you could really tell that you work closely with the colorist, mm-hmm. especially in the in the little sequence where Alvin turns the wood to cinder. You yeah. left you left pretty much the whole panel open for the colorist to interpret the way they felt, mm-hmm. and I, I thought that was. I mean, for you know, you're the illustrator of the book. You call the shots, 
but it, you just left it open for them to mm-hmm. determine how to do that that gray plume of of ash, and it worked really well. Yeah, um, that's the great advantage of having the colorist working right here with me. Uh, so I get to direct a little bit the coloring too. Um, mm-hmm. We work together, so um, I know what she can do, uh, what she wh- where she will take it. So um, yeah, I live a. I, I think a lot when I'm drawing uh, um, about how the coloring will affect the drawing, and uh, if I can leave it for the for the coloring, uh, I will probably do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the scene uh, in issue six um, where there's a storm uh, in the sea, and I pretty much didn't, didn't draw anything um, in the water because we could do it with color and make it much better. You know, it, it looks like a painting. Um, it's it's it looks it looks pretty cool. And um, if I had just drawn the waves with big black spots, I think it would take um, a lot of that feeling from it, from the page. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be as big as it got. So it's good. It's good to have the colorist with me. And um, right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's more now, solid. I, I think the, the final work uh, turns out more solid. Now, when you say she works there with you, is she physically in the same studio? Yeah. With oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a match made in heaven. And you can really tell on the page. There, there, I mean, as I was going through issue four and issue five, there are a lot of spots where you could tell you guys are in really close collaboration with the, on this book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, yeah, we discuss a lot of what we can do on a certain page. Like the clouds. I don't draw clouds anymore because she can draw amazing clouds now. Right. And uh, they, they look like paintings. And it, it's really cool. And uh, the splash page to issue number four, where uh, Hooch is talking to the men about selling him, selling them yeah. the, the, the whiskey and not that beautiful cloudscape in the background. It's yeah. just gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Came out really nice. Yeah. You guys do fantastic work. And uh, yeah, sp- speaking of that, just so uh, we'd let everybody know, the colorist is Zona E, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Just great stuff. And... I admire Renato, Renato Arlem's work, but I think mm-hmm. you're a much, much better fit for this book. Well, thank you. Your, um, your, your work really brings out the uh, and the not what Scott Card put down in the novel, and that's another mm-hmm. thing I wanted to ask. Uh, did you read the novel beforehand, or are you just working solely from Mr. Brown's scripts on this? I'm working solely from the script. Um, uh, I, un- unfortunately, I haven't read the book, uh, the novel. Uh, I want to do it. Um, I think I'm going to the New York Con convention now. Okay. And, uh, I'll try to get the book when I'm there. Um, because I, I am myself intrigued with the story. I want to know what, what's going to happen. You know, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, yeah, I really look forward to that. Uh, that's just incredible to wrap your your mind around that that you've you haven't read the book and you're just going by scripts and it's coming out this good yeah, yeah. well the, the scripts are very detailed they, I, they they have everything there yeah yeah and you can tell you're having fun with it because um in issue number four i noticed is that wolverine in the jail cell <laughs> can i say that or uh? sure <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's wolverine uh, I, i've decided now that i will try to um to put in uh, some Marvel character in, uh, in each issue, so uh, that issue was Wolverine. I I, I, f- I really laughed out loud when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, 
I thought he fitted the, the, the scene, you know. He, he could have been alive. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Right? Yeah, so you, you could really tell that you're enjoying this, and uh, it's apparent on every page. But I, I think the obstacle that a, a title like Red Prophet has is getting this book into the hands of the average Marvel fan who mm-hmm. probably wouldn't really give it a second thought because right. one, once they read this thing, I think the enthusiasm of the creative team and just the, the, the density and just how well-written the story yes. is it, uh-huh. will, will win them over. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know what? I think that it gets better issue after issue. Um, the story gets more... You know, there's more stuff going on. Um, it's more dynamic. You know, now that the characters are more established, uh, so the script is getting much better. And uh, the same with the art. You know, I I've been testing different things um, so far, and I'm finally getting very comfortable doing some things like um, my inking. My inking is improving um, quite uh, a great deal. You know, it's it's very fast how how the work is evolving. I don't know if you can tell, but I see a lot of difference from issue 5 to issue 4. I think it's much better than the issue 4. And when you see issue 6, it's it's even so much better. Um, I'm very enthusiastic about it. You know, I'm very excited to see what I'll be doing uh, a couple of issues down the road. Um, if I was, um, if I had to, to, you know, to promote this book uh, as an artist, that's what I would say, you know. Here's a, a young guy, you know, just pretty much starting. And um, see how fast he's evolving. Uh, it's quite exciting. It, it's it's obvious. Uh, when you see the solicitation for issue 7, which yeah. is, is a beautiful cover, and then you see the image that you did for the hardcover, which is outstanding. It's just gorgeous. The, the, the scene with the canoes... And the waterway and the riverboat, and it's just amazing amount of research that went into that. I, what is issue 10 and 11 going to look like? <laughs> you know, if you keep getting progressively better, there, there's, no, there's no limit to what you're going to be capable of doing. Yeah, yeah. and we are, we are improving at a very fast speed. It's, it's really cool. Oh. The same with the coloring. Uh, the, the colors are so much better now in issue 6. They're much lighter. Uh, we thought they were a little too dark in issue four, and um, so we are doing them a little lighter, and um, uh, with more, um, we are we are able to create better environments now. You know, setting the mood. Uh, it's really cool. I'm very excited about this book. I'm very happy here. So, what's the production process like? Do you do traditional pencils? Is any of this done digitally, other than the the colors? I'm assuming. Everything else, apart from the colors, uh, are done um, in a traditional way. Uh, basically, I do I, I first I do a layout in a small size, and I scan it. I, I place all the lettering to make sure everything fits well. I print the page in a large format, and then using a light table, I will trace it. Um, I will trace that layout, do a little, you know, sketch it a little more, and then I go straight for the inks. I don't really do pencils uh, since I'm inking it um, so I'll go directly to the inks mm-hmm. and how detailed are your do, do you do I mean are you doing the majority of your work in inks and do you like a lot of a lot of artists will just give loose 
oh, thumbnails, yeah. and then they'll they know they're going to just finish it in inks and not go heavy into pencils, and and you're pretty much eliminating your pencil work. So, you you just know everything's going to be done. You pretty much work in ink. I mean, that's just basically that's the point you get to, and that's yeah. pretty much the finished project until you hand it off to the colorist. Yeah, yeah, it's very sketchy. Um, I I don't I wouldn't even call it breakdowns. It's it's really just a a, a sketch where um, where I can see where the where the important lines are, and then many times I add details with a with, with a brush. I don't even uh, okay. draw it with a pencil. Especially hair, uh, I go directly with a with a brush, and uh, it, it it saves me a lot of time. So the ma- uh, majority of the inks are done with a brush. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I would say ninety percent of it. They're they're really good inks. It's 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 quite a, a visual treat to look at this book because it, it it's you can see some of the pencils in there and the the colors are very lush and it's just a beautiful thing to look at. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I, honestly, I'm not very happy with the inks um, in issue four and issue five. I think they are a little um, they're not as elegant as they are getting now. And um, I've been trying some you know going some. Um, in a, in a Mark Farmer uh, way, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's a, it's a bold step, and uh, I'm doomed to fail. Well, no, but, no, uh, I'm looking. I'm looking at some <laughs> of your earlier stuff, some of uh, some of your items online, and and I definitely see some some Alan Davis influences. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd love to find out who else you, you you would consider an influencer, who you draw inspiration from. But I mean, uh, Mark Mark Farmer is definitely something to aspire to, and I, I don't doubt that you could pull it off. Yeah, it's cool that the book has different environments, um, and we have a lot of flashbacks and uh, flash forwards. So I'm using this um, to to try different techniques. So when we have the flashback, I will try to ink it uh, in a slightly different way. You know, maybe maybe I'll do the flashbacks as if Mark Farmer was inking my work. Um, you know, I'll try at least. And um, and by doing it, I'm learning and. Um, and yeah, I'm getting more comfortable with with my inks, and um, it's they're they're coming out more naturally. In issue four, I, I was struggling a little bit to do it, especially because I was doing it with a brush, um, which I wasn't really used to. Um, and now I'm very comfortable with it. Um, and yeah, yeah. So I, I try different things. Do you see how you uh, got David to perk up just by saying Mark Farmer? <laughs> 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 That was that was very good, but you're you've obviously a quick study. You could see a noticeable Im- improvement. Not that the work was lacking, but you just keep getting better, uh, yeah. issue by issue. So, okay, end of the road. When all is said and done, this thing is collected into mm-hmm. probably two hardcovers. Right? Correct. Yes. What What then? Do you, Do you have your eyes on a certain character or title you'd like to uh, draw? Um, I'm not not thinking that that much uh, ahead, really. Um, I'm just focusing on doing this book to the end um, and see what happens after it. Mm-hmm. So I'm very I, happy I, with Abel Brothers. I wouldn't mind staying there for a for a while longer, for a quite big time. Uh, I wouldn't mind. There are good people there. I, I like the way uh, I've been treated so far. They have good books. It's it's great. I'm very happy there. It's it's the first time I can really say that, which is really cool. Excellent. 
So basically, so if 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 someone presses, if if you're asked, you know, mm-hmm. what who do you work for? It would be Dabble Brothers. It wouldn't necessarily be Marvel. Marvel just puts out the comic you're working on. Well, I like to say it's Marvel, you know. <laughs> okay. Just, just oh, well, no, I can understand close. you want... Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely understand that. Well, for, for people in the industry, I'll say it's uh, Devil Brothers. But outside the industry, I like to say that I work for Marvel. You know, it's it helps. Especially sure. with the ladies. It's, uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> oh, I didn't know the ladies were big, were big Marvel fans out there. <laughs> well, they've heard about it, you know. They don't know about Devil Brothers, but if I say that I work for the same company that puts out Spider-Man and stuff, well, that will work. That will catch their attention. <laughs> I understand that. Oh. Makes perfect yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, it looks like we have a lot to look forward to in New York. <laughs> <laughs> should definitely come by our table. Okay, I'll be there. I'll be there. Uh, you're, you're starting on this book now, but what did you do before? Um, I did several um, fill-in issues for other publishers. Um, I've worked for Top Cow. Uh, I've did um, a bit of uh, Covenant. Covenant. Um, right. Yeah, I think the, the regular artist was having a little trouble uh, uh, doing it on time. So I, I went there and I did. Um, I pretty much did the first issue. You know, I did. I think I did 18 pages of the first issue. And um, I did some stuff for Image, also did some stuff for CrossGen, and, um, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And, and that's what g- got you noticed by, by people at Dable Brothers? Um, I think Dable Brothers got in touch with me thanks to Simon Boland, um, who, who is a good friend of mine, even though we never spoke. Uh, <laughs> we, we only... Okay. Yeah, yeah, we, we only... Uh, talk here, uh, you know, uh, through the web, um, right. using Messenger and stuff. And um, but uh, we've been friends for four years, and uh, he's a great guy. He's a great letterist, and um, I think he, he he will be more than that. I think he will assume other roles um, in a, in the near future because he's very competent. He's a very reliable person, and he he was working for Devil Brothers at the time, and I think he name dropped me. Uh, and uh, Bill liked my work, saw some samples, and he got in touch with me. That's but uh, uh, I, I'm interested because uh, how did you actually got the your first gig? I mean, uh, drawing for Top Cow or CrossGen. How how how, how did you uh, get it? Um, I think those gigs I got through um, through an agent. Um, okay. Yeah, I first sent. Him, I was looking for an agent. I like the idea of having an agent, someone that takes care of all the. Um, you know the business side of yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, and I came across um, this guy, and um, he he liked my stuff. He actually helped me uh, improve my work at an early stage. Right. And um, very soon he was uh, getting me work, and um, that's how I did those filling issues. How, how much time did um, um, when did pass bef- from the moment that you did the first uh, filling issue to right now? Um, I would say three years and a half. Yeah. All right. That's great. But, but I, 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 well, well, I, I actually thought it was long. Well, it was longer than I was expecting it to be. But um, I, I don't. I quite don't mind because I, I was being pushed to do, to this style or that style because they were they were more fashionable at the time or whatever. But um, I didn't want to do that. You know, I want to have a very solid drawing base, you know, I want to be able to draw, to actually draw, 
and um, uh, so I, I kept improving that, and I was not so focused on going this way or that way. I've been right. studying different artists, you know, uh, guys from you know from Scott Campbell and Joe Madureira to uh, Alan Davis and other more classic right. uh, artists, and because I think it's important that we learn a little bit of everything. So if in the future I have to draw in a particular style, um, I will be able to, you know. Um, uh, about the, the Portuguese experience, uh, now focusing on, you know, entering the business, um, mm -hmm. is it, I mean, do you know other people? Because basically, um, I, I, I know you uh, yeah. from Portugal doing doing the job for, for Devil Brothers, but uh, I don't know anyone else. Um, so I mean, is is it is it harder? I mean, uh, is it just because the the, um, the culture uh, doesn't really uh, push people to go to comics or actually open you know open doors to, to for the for the business? Well, uh, I think uh, I'm a very aggressive guy. You know, when I want something, I really go for it, and right. uh, I don't mind. Uh, I'm not afraid of working. You know, and um, and I I take critic. Uh, criticism very well so um, I, I don't go down if someone say it's not good enough you need to go home and come right. back next year uh, I, because I, I will do that exactly um, and uh, I think a lot of people will quit uh, too soon you know they will not keep pushing it um, until they get their their break yeah, because I, I keep I keep hearing um, a lot of people. We have, of course, people in the states don't know, but we have a, a great art school um, uh, in Lisbon. Uh, people mm -hmm. from all of Europe come here to to, yeah. to learn, and um, we have drawing and painting, and uh, there's there's a very cool art school here. But uh, but we don't really. I mean, I, I I at least I don't have that perception. I mean, we don't uh, hear about people going into comics. The people just they start working with. I actually knew of people doing like illustrations, but uh, like for book covers or something, but not really into comics, and not even European comics. And that um, I don't know. I, I just I was very excited when um, when um, they, they first uh, mentioned. You and I actually saw your work on 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 print and printing. I mean, it was fantastic. Well, there are there are several artists uh, over here working for uh, the French market, which is very big, and I think there are some other artists already doing stuff for the United States. Um, well, I, I know that for sure. Uh, there's uh, Eliseo Gouveia. Um, he did um, a few books for um, I think uh, what's the name of the publisher Moon. Moon something? Moonstone? Moonstone, Moonstone, Moonstone yeah. yeah, yeah, Moonstone. Right. He did some stuff for them. And oh, there right. are more artists. Um, That's but I cool. think, yeah, it's pretty cool, and he's a good guy, too. Um, I, I think that the problem is really that uh, people quit too soon. They, All they, right. they don't think that, you know, there are dozens and hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people trying to do the same thing they are, and uh, it's, it's, not always the best that gets the job. It's the one that is more perc uh, that perceives it the most. You know that sticks to it. Yeah, I understand about the French market because and uh, people in the states might not know this either. But they're actually uh, I might be I actually I, I almost I think I'm pretty pretty sure about this. But they're they're getting some Marvel uh, characters and they're doing their own stories. They're being printed yeah. here. 
from a, a Portuguese or Brazilian uh, mm -hmm. publisher, I don't know. But uh, they're getting Marvel characters and doing uh, original stories um, in French. Uh, yeah. Just er European writers. Uh, are, are, uh, is it just European illustrators too? Um, I have no idea, really. I know it's uh, at, l at least writers. I know they're all European. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, there's some cool things. I actually read um, one of them about Wolverine, and um, because I at first I I was like I I, I have no idea what this is, mm -hmm. and uh, but then I read it. I searched. Uh, I talked to a friend about it, and we found out that it was just exclusive work with Marvel characters. There was an uh, uh, they made a deal with Marvel, and they took characters and they did original stories just by European writers. For mm -hmm. Europe, yeah, yeah. Well, I know that's going on, but um, I'm not really. I don't know much more about it. Um, All right. Uh, maybe a couple. I think it was a couple year of years ago. Um, there was this possibility that uh, I could be writing and drawing a Spider-Man story for a, a, a special book that was coming out um, uh, for during Christmas. Uh, but uh, that didn't come, um, and um, th that's that's the only thing I'm, I've been close. Uh, th that's all I know about uh, using the the European, the the, the American, the Marvel car characters here in Europe. It okay. was the closest I've ever been to doing something like that. All right. Well, I'm very interested in how you prepare yourself mentally for tackling the average red profit issue like when you get that script do you, mm -hmm. how do you s sit down and, and prepare yourself for what i would assume is a pretty arduous task of illustrating all those things that are required in the script mm -hmm. so so how do you bring yourself to the table to get this work done well, first of all, I read the script and I lay everything down uh, from each from page one to page twenty. Then I turn it uh, to my well, I, I make a few uh, uh, notes. I pass them to my assistant, and she will look for um, references over the, the internet or wherever we, we can find them. And um, after that, I will start drawing from page one to page twenty-two. So you work in a very linear fashion. Yes, yes. Okay. I, uh, I started doing that here uh, with issue six but because I felt I was getting a little, um, um, I was losing a little, a little discipline with uh, with the previous ones because mm -hmm. it's easy to start drawing what you like to draw best, you know, and you start letting the the hard stuff for um, later, right? And um, and <laughs> then. When you need to turn in the book, you see that you still need to draw the two or three most difficult pages of the entire book, and uh, those days will can, can be very stressful. So with this issue, I decided to start on page one and move forward um, to page 22, and it's working very well. Because if the page is hard, maybe I'm not feeling like drawing it, but well, I push myself to do it, and um, I finish it. I feel better with myself because I was able to, to do it, and... Um, Maybe the next page will be more fun to do to draw. Right. And, um, yeah. And what's the average time it takes you to do a page? Um, I've been told that I'm quite fast. I, I can draw. I would say an average page will take me four hours to draw. Uh, that's pencil and inks. Wow. And yeah. how many hours do you say you put into penciling a day? 
Mm, well, since I, I would say that four or five hours. Okay, so yeah. you you can do a, maybe a page and a half a day. That's that's yeah, cool. that's definitely that's yeah, a lot that's faster true. than most guys. Yes, it is. <laughs> Actually, I've been pushing it to two two pages a day now, because um, we are trying to get the book a little bit ahead of schedule. You know, just to have a a couple of issues in the in the bag. You know, before uh, putting anything out. Do, so, do you have the mindset where I need to get? I, I'm. You wake up in the morning and you say, "I'm going to do two pages today," or "I'm going to work till eleven o'clock tonight," and then whatever comes first, that's where you stop. Or do you just keep pushing yourself until you feel that you've done enough? Uh, I will do the, the, those two, those two pages, basically. Okay. Yeah, most of the times. Well, except unless it's a very difficult page uh, that I know it will take me more time. Uh, maybe I'll do that page in one day and. Uh, Next day, I'll do two pages and a half and uh, try to compensate. And you know, sometimes I have to work on the weekend, but that's cool. Um, I love what I do, so it's pretty good. That's all that matters. Yeah. 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 Yep. Are there uh, are there any creators that you would any writers or other you know would you want it, if you could get Mark Farmer to ink your stuff? Are there any creators that you would love to work with that you've that you've worked with in the past that you're really proud of your work with them? Um. I would really like to work with. Um, are you talking about um, artists? Like artists, writers, anybody. The inkers doesn't matter. Colorists. Well, you already have your colorists. So, but any, any <laughs> you know, if if if, if Marvel or, or Naval Brothers came to you yeah. and said, "Okay, we need you to," you know, we know you love to ink your own stuff, but we need you to pencil this issue because we yeah. have so and so to ink it. You know, who right. would you if if they said who who could you get to ink your stuff? Who would you say? Mm-hmm. I would say, at this moment, I would say Trevor Scott. Uh, I absolutely love his inking. Um, I think he did a great job over Frank uh, Quitley, and um, the same with, uh, with John Byrne on the, on the, on the Atom. Um, okay. Yeah, I really like his stuff. Uh, Mark Farmer is also very good. Um, yeah, there, there are a few of them that I would really like to, to work with. And uh, as for writers, I would say Mark Miller. Uh, I absolutely love his writing. Yeah, I love everything he does. He's, he's probably the only writer that I that I actually follow. Well, uh, apart from Alan uh, from uh, Alan Moore. So, what are your feelings about the current goings on in the Marvel universe with the Civil War? Um, I I'm not very familiar with it. Uh, because uh, I, I follow artists, you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't really follow um, titles or uh, writers. Uh, mostly, I follow artists. So if you tell me that Alan Davis is going to to be drawing it, I will buy it for sure and I will read it. Um, but um, there's, yeah. So that's pretty much it. I follow artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I don't know pretty much what's going on there. I think I'll buy it when the when the paperback comes out. Right. And take All a right. look because it's it's pretty good. Uh, you'll you'll least, actually be doing me a favor if you buy the paperback for Civil War. Yeah. And and read it, and then I uh, 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 I would love to have a conversation with you about it. Because okay, cool. what he's in he's hinting at is uh, Mark <laughs> Mi- Mark Miller wrote it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, <laughs> That's uh, news. I think I'm going to buy it then. And make. <laughs> Our Miguel's not all that pleased with it, so no, 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 okay. no, no, no. I'm thinking is you ju- you should you should buy it the pre- the paperback for the Civil War. You should buy it, read yeah. it, and then you'll tell me um, what you thought. And then 
uh, I'll tell you to buy the, the tie-ins to Civil War, the paperbacks, with uh-huh. <laughs> and then you, I'll tell you to read it all over again with the tie-ins, and then you'll tell me what you uh, what you thought about okay, it. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's a pretty pretty costly experiment there. It's homework. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sure. I'll take the challenge. Good. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. This was pretty cool. It's my first uh, interview um, in a... Uh, in a foreign language for me, so uh, it's pretty cool. I really enjoyed it. And that's another nice. that's another thing that really really surprises me that you've not only overcome physical obstacles to get a job, essentially with Marvel, you you've mm-hmm. overcome the language barrier too. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's it's, it's uh, like I'm happy. I'm happy you think that. Uh, I think we're just being nice, but uh, no, 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 no. The, Well, look at it this way: how many they don't they don't know how to speak Portuguese? That should be enough, Miguel. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, when, when you when you think about all the the artists in the states, you know, who that is their their language, English, and they can't yes. get work with Marvel, and you're in Portugal. Uh, from yeah. what is what m- might as well be a million miles away and you yeah. you you snag a very high profile job like red profit that's that's uh-huh. an an incredible task yeah. i i uh, think so um i was just going to say that um i think there were always artists from uh, other countries working for marvel oh yeah um, since ever you know like uh, oh yeah there's no, alfredo no, 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 yeah. alcala and um Many others, many others. True, true, true. Brazilian, Argentinian, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Especially the Argentinians. Um, I think oh, yeah. in, the, in the 60s and the 70s, there were a lot of Argentinians working for Marvel. And uh, they were great. They have a great... Um, they're, they're really good doing comics. A lot of them you worked on the horror titles. Yep. And yeah. Then, then you had the Filipino invasion of the 70s. Yeah. 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 With Alex Nino, just brilliant artists. So you're in, in very good company. Mm-hmm. But I, I still think it's a hell of an accomplishment, so you're just going to have to take it and, you know. <laughs> and live with it. Actually, though, that, uh, thank that, you, thank that, that, that does raise a question. The, um, I, I know you have an assistant. You said you go over the script. Is there, have you, yeah. have there been any, has there been a language barrier when it comes to the script? You receive the script and you, and I mean, is there anything that you have to verify? If you read something and you're like, well, okay, and I don't, you know, you accidentally start to draw something else and, and it's, doesn't translate the same. I'm just trying to find out if, if there's ever if there's ever a problem with the script and trying to translate it to from Portuguese to English or vice versa. Um, I don't really translate it. Um, I go directly from the, the English script. And it, yes, it has happened before. Um, I have drawn something that I thought um, uh, it was meant to be drawn, but uh, actually it was something else. Um, oh, okay. oh I, I have a good example. Um, I did. It happened with Red Prophet. Um, the script says the kids were were being handed uh, loin cloths. Um, I'm not sure if that's the way to pronounce it, but um, you know those Indian things. You know they put around their waist. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I I didn't know what that was. You know I thought it was just some kind of fabric or something like that. So I drew them in full clothes. Um, ah, but then yeah. my yeah then my assistant noted. Uh, noticed this and she said no 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 that's not what it is and uh, we checked it um, in, in the internet and we figured out that I was making a uh, mistake so uh, we corrected it in time right. <laughs> so far we didn't have any problem with that that went to print ah, nice. all, all the mistakes were always corrected before the book went out 
Yeah, I wish I wish some editors would find the mistakes that some pencils yeah, are yes, nowadays. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. No, that's that that makes perfect sense. I mean it's I don't even think it's really a hazard or or, mm-hmm. or a drawback to working so far from from a writer whose language is different, but I mean and I, I it, again it's just it's it's another challenge and that seems to be something that uh that you strive to, to overcome. Oh, so yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. And pretty much I think a lot of people outside of the states uh, speak English, especially here. Uh, many Portuguese yeah. people speak English um, uh, quite well. You know, um, uh, at least we are able to communicate. And um, and I'm very perfectionist about this stuff. I always go through um, the script uh, times and times uh, over times, and uh, I keep looking at the layouts and I read the story and to make sure everything is in place. Do you look back at your older stuff and, and can't believe that you you ever drew like that or you've come so far? Um, some things, yes. Um, especially with the kids. When I drew the, the Covenant uh, for Top Cow, I had to draw uh, the kids, uh, the characters when they were kids. And uh, I, had, I had trouble uh, drawing it. Um, it didn't come out very well, in my opinion. And now... Um, that I have to draw Alvin all the time. Um, I'm really learning how to do it, and uh, I'm getting very comfortable with it. Uh, I'm not. I'm no longer drawing a, an adult, you know, in a children's size, you know. That, right. That's what I was mm-hmm. pretty much doing uh, before. So he's looking like a kid, more and more. Well, I, I think it's safe to say that the best is yet to come with Red Prophet. So if anyone listening to this is even slightly interested in the storyline of this book pick it up it's gorgeous it's beautifully illustrated and you will not be sorry that's all i can say very true it's a great title and yeah i think i think it's a lot of fun and i think it will be good to see how the book gets better and better issue after issue Mm -hmm. and we so appreciate you coming on our show and chatting with us and the invitation stands anytime you're ready you uh, have another issue that comes out, feel free to give us a, a buzz and you can come back because we love sure, talking you. with you. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you. It was great. It was a lot of fun, really. Like a puppet on the string Like a monkey on a swing Men is clinging to the ropes Of the fantasies and hopes We are dangling He's so eager to believe and so easily deceived Like a baby watching magic He's so gallic with each tragic In the world of naive Life is nothing but show business In 1994 We fight for the spotlight We kill for a core Life is nothing but show business The world's an average We live for a fortune We die for the best Devotion and he calls it art. 
Let's go get 